Okay, guys, we're back in it after a long break. Sorry I wasn't here last Wednesday. I got a little homie I brought back from Peru. So we're working those things out. I got on some, uh, what is it, grapefruit seed extract. Talk about heartburn. And I found out today, do not drink a pop with it. It's like worse than Mentos and Diet Coke. <laughs> I was all, oh, 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 this was a bad choice. This is like, yeah. You guys have seen those videos. But hopefully we can get over it and uh, move on and not have to deal with it anymore. My sister-in-law said, sorry about the souvenir, but <laughs> I'm glad you're going to feel better. Because she had one when she's here, and that's really the only thing that took care of it. Is that stuff? All right. Hebrews chapter 5. So, the last thing we talked about was Jesus being superior to the high priest, right? <clears throat> that's what we went through. And what's going to happen is right now, the writer of Hebrews is going to take a little break before he moves on to talking about the temple, uh, the old covenant, and how Jesus is superior to all those things. But he really wants to get them to understand about those things, and especially about Melchizedek and who that guy was and how he represented Jesus Christ. But before he gets into that, he needs to go through a whole part where he needs to basically say, you know, talk to him about where the progress is. And one of the things we left off with in verse 11 of chapter 5 is it says, you know, he's talking about Melchizedek. He gives a little bit of example there in verse 11. He says, of whom we have had much to say and hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. You know, you can talk and talk. You can be a, it wasn't that they were dull teachers or they were dull preachers or apostles. It was that they were becoming dull of hearing. And so to explain to somebody that's dull of hearing, it's, it's hard. It's exactly what it says there. We have much to say, but it's hard to explain. Anybody that's dull of hearing, it's hard to explain to them, right? I mean, you guys know, and uh, I don't know, I don't want to harass you guys in here, and I hope you guys can joke along with me, and I know your wives will laugh, but, you know, some of you guys that have to use aids for your ears, and, you know, like, the things that have to happen there, and I'm sure you guys have had a lot of miscommunications and thinking that one thing's said and, and another thing's on the other side. So um, it's like these three guys that are walking along and, and you know, older guys, and, and the one says, it's windy, isn't it? And the other one says, no, it's Thursday. And then the last one says, so am I, let's go get a drink. <laughs> kind of like that. Or, you know, the person that comes home and says, hey, I just got the state-of-the-art uh, hearing aid but it cost me four grand to get this thing. But it is like the top of the line hearing aid. And uh, the person asks and says, well, what kind is it? And says, oh, it's 1230. <laughs> that miscommunication that happens when, you know, the hearing's off. And it's not that these guys had bad hearing. It's what, they, what had happened with them has become dull to it. Meaning they weren't going to put any work into what they were hearing. You know, anything you think about a dull color, it's just, it's dull. There's no life to it. And that's what was happening here. So it's very hard to explain. So before the writer goes into the next part of Hebrews, he needs to explain to them, here's where you see you guys are at. And before we can move on, you guys can't be dull of hearing. You can't be into that milk anymore. We're going to chew on some meat now. And so I need you guys up to par. And that's really what the writer's getting at. And that's what the message is going to be about tonight. It may be a little short because I didn't want to get into... Um, the next section, which is going to be about Melchizedek, and we'll spend some more time on that next week. So tonight might be, yeah, I'm sure you guys won't be upset if we cut a little bit short. Usually 
It's not that way, right? So let's go ahead and read verses 12 through 14 of chapter 5. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so what the writer's talking about with them, he says, right there in the very first part, you guys should be teaching by now. And it's not that he's saying that you should have the gift of teaching. Everybody that hears the word and and is walking with the Lord for a while should all of a sudden have the gift of teaching. That's not what he's talking about here. There's certain people that God gives the gift of teaching to, and it can't be an excuse in saying, I don't have that gift, so therefore I'm not going to teach. The same goes as far as an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so therefore I'm not going to go out and evangelize. So, you know, the scripture says also, you know, do the work of an evangelist, an encouragement there to a person that did not have um, the gift of evangelism. So each one of these things is is something that's still required of us, even though it might be not a gift. And it's not talking about getting up in front of people and teaching through the Word of God or, or, you know, in front of the congregation. It's just talking about teaching what's been heard or what's been applied to your own life. And that wasn't happening here, though by this time you ought to be teachers. You guys know so much, you've been walking with the Lord so much, you've been walking with Jesus Christ in this new covenant. You guys ought to be teaching this stuff by now. But instead, what's happening is you have to have teachers come back in and lay those basic principles again for you. And what happens and how this looks is that, you know what, a person can look like they have a lot going on and they might have a lot of head knowledge, but true knowledge is that that's worked out, isn't it? Because not only is there faith involved and there's belief by exercise, and you see that there's work being done because of that faith and whatever's happening there, there's action and that's how we see that somebody actually believes in what the knowledge that they have, because we could believe everything that happened in the Word of God, but we could be terrified to cross the street because we feel God is not going to protect us. And I'm not saying like a highway, you know, five lanes, hey, God, you got me on this right. You guys know what I'm saying is that the thing is, is that you got to see it worked out. And these guys, that wasn't happening. And we can see that a lot in the church now is what's going on is there's a lot of knowledge out there. There is, but then you look at their personal lives and what they're still into, what they're still giving themselves over to, and you look at it and you're like, wow, I don't, it's like the basic principles need to be taught to them again, to where they'll actually understand it and they'll move on from that, that, that youthful stuff or that stuff that a baby would do. Because we know even with a baby, like part of the exciting things as parents is you get to see your kids grow into adulthood, but as soon as they stop growing mentally or even physically, immediately we take them into the doctors, right? Because we know something's wrong there. And so we want to explore, well, what's wrong? Well, what set us off that is because the whole natural process is that growth comes, maturity comes. And when that doesn't happen, all of a sudden it's an emergency, and we need to go figure out what is the problem here? Why is there no growth? And so that's what the writer's diving into is, okay, there's no growth here. What's the problem? What is going on? And so even in our church and in our lives, we have to look at it and say, hey, has my growth stopped in any way? Have I been doing the same things for the last few years and there hasn't been anything that's been brought up that's new to me? Or maybe there's something that's reoccurring all the time that's coming over and over and over through the scriptures, but the thing is we don't want to apply it to our lives because we feel that either we've already succeeded at that, when truthfully when we face it, we haven't succeeded at it. 
Or the other thing is we keep ignoring it because we don't feel that we're ready to cross that bridge yet with Jesus. And so that's where that, that failure to grow or that failure to, to go on and we become dull of hearing. And that's really what it's talking about back there in verse 11 is that you can hear it so many times, but it's just going to become a plain color. It's not going to have any life to it. And so, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, this, this verse right here is an important because it says that he who partakes only of milk, right? So the thing is, is that in our Christian walk, of course, we're going to return to that milk every once in a while, those, those basic principles, of course, because those are our foundation. And those are great to go back to remind. I love sermons sometimes where they just go back and just nail it. You know, like Martin's sermon, and I'm going to praise Martin a little bit here. To, hold on, Martin. Hold on to your seat. <laughs> but talking about love again, it's a very basic principle to us, isn't it? But it's something that needs to be refreshed to us, something that we need to be reminded of. And so to partake of milk again and again, you know, it, it, it's okay. But when it says that it's only that we're t- partaking of milk, that's where the air is. We need to be eating that meat because we've graduated. We're no longer babies anymore. We're no longer that youth. And it's okay for the new believers, too. You have to understand that a person that comes to Jesus Christ is not something that we need to go and force meat on them, right? I mean, I think that's one of the most disgusting baby foods I've ever tried. Yes, I do try baby foods. When I'm at junior high events, okay, we'll put the context there. They, they gave us some beans and, and steak. We were doing musical chairs, and if you sat on the chair, you had to eat a big old spoonful of the baby food. That green bean and, and steak is not good until you burp it up later, and then it tastes just like you ate that. <laughs> I know, great stuff, right? Junior high stuff, that's what that is. But, you know, it's, it's something you don't force feed that new believer that meat because they're not ready for it. There's some things they're just not going to be ready for. They need to take that milk. But those of us that have been walking with Christ for a while need to understand that where's that meat? Do we have meat in our lives? Are we chewing on that meat? And I'm going to get into what does the milk look like, what does the meat look like, what are those uh, specifically, and, and what can we go and, and you know, check our lives and see where we're at with them. In verse 14 it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that's where it's getting into what is the milk and the meat. So basically as you go through what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is with the milk... And what that is, it's, it's those, I'm sorry, it's that, that seed extract. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> this is great, I was wondering, all right. So the milk is the first principles, and with those first principles, that would be Jesus' ministry, basically. So those first principles, the milk, the things that you go over would be Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching, his death, burial, and resurrection. Those are some of those things that are the first fruits. And then what it means to us, okay? And and what it, it describes as far as the death, what does that mean to us? What does the resurrection mean to us? Those are some of those things that are just milk. Those are the new believer. That's the, the baby stuff that you take then the meat is what Jesus is now doing in heaven. So it could be like this. This is what Wearsby said, and I thought he lined it up very well. And he says, quote, We begin the Christian life on the basis of his finished work on earth, and we grow in the Christian life on the basis of his unfinished work in heaven. 
And it's a great thing, and Hebrews is going to continue and give that idea that God, Jesus Christ, is doing a work in heaven, and what does that translate to us? That's where the meat comes in. You know, what is that relating to us as we work out our lives here on this earth? As we, we, we choose to follow him and we make those choices every day on what it says right there in verse 14, whether to discern between the good and the evil. What is good? What is evil for me right now? You know, I know the world is saying this and the majority says this, so why not go this way? That's one of the conversations that I was having with James is that, you know, he'd settled in his mind that, that it was okay to have just a, a, a basic morals. And then by chance, he might be able to gain favor with God. And I was like, wow, by chance, man, that's, that's leaving up a lot there. And where does this line, where, where do you draw this line? You know, where, where, who, who draws the line? And so is it, is it a personal thing that basically the morals and truth is subjective or is it an objective? And so we went through that whole discussion about that and, and getting to see that, you know, this is where it has to be. It has to be that it's objective and it's from him. And so right there, getting to discern between that good and evil it has to come from him, right? And that's why the meat is delivered to us and so we get to see it because otherwise if it becomes subjective, like I was talking with him, is that every one of us in this room could have our own morals. We could have our own truth that would even supersede each other or, or you know, it gets really crazy. I mean, it's a horrible thought and it shoots itself in the foot. Um, I mean, if you guys ever want to talk with somebody, it's a great discussion to go because most people right now, they believe that everybody, basically, truth is subjective. So their, their truth is their truth, and your truth is your truth. And, and your religion that you found is your religion, and, and what they believe is their belief. And how you can challenge them is say, well, then you would have to say that all truth is, is, is not absolute, right? That, that everybody has their own truth. And they, they would conclude, yes, that's how it is. But then you can ask them, well, if you make the statement that all tr- uh, uh, there is no such thing as absolute truth, wouldn't that statement in itself be absolute truth? See what I'm saying? You have to make an absolute truth statement to make that statement. And so it shoots itself in the foot so that if there is absolute truth, where can we encounter it? And then you can start getting into talking about God. And if they already believed God, it makes it quicker to get there. So anyways, getting back on to, you know, eating that meat. And that's what we're supposed to be chewing on as, as uh, believers. Now, when it gets into the part... And he talks about them and he explains to them that they're dull of hearing. Remember back in Hebrews 2, we went through this, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, and we talked about drifting. Remember drifting away from the Word of God? So when he's talking to these Hebrews, that was one of the first points that he hits on is that they were drifting away from the Word of God in in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then in chapter 3, verse 7 through chapter 4, 13, that whole part right there, it talks about them doubting the Word and now become dull of the Word. And this whole challenge that they're having with the Word, and you guys know I'm so thankful that God, in, in, in the way that He's directed me in my life, has lined me up with a church that believes 100% in the Word of God, that it's infallible, and not only that, but will preach and teach it verse by verse to get the whole Scripture out there. We know that there's not many that do that. And I'm not, complete, I'm not against topical. I mean, I teach on topical, but it's so important to get right there in the Word of God, isn't it? But there's so many people out there, so many different churches that are actually walking away from the Word of God because it's an ancient text. It doesn't really apply for now. Or what they're doing is they're completely discarding the Old Testament and saying it's only New Testament. And even within the Calvary movement, that has been expressed. That we should not concentrate, not completely throw it out, but not focus on Old Testament during Sunday morning teaching, but rather we should focus on New Testament, which is a shame. 
And I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying it's everyone. It's just a couple of these different churches out there that have decided to end up going that way. And it's a sad thing because, of course, we know the whole Word of God is so important. But what happens is that you start doubting it and you become dull of it, right? And then you end up walking away. You drift away from it. And it's just not, it's something that we see, unfortunately, happen to with a lot of people. Um, in verse, let me see if I got all the notes there. So let's move on to 6 1. So in, verse, in chapter 6, is verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith toward God. And remember who he's talking to, the Hebrews here, of course, right? But over and over again, these guys were having such a hard time with these foundational beliefs in who Jesus Christ was and what he said there, you know, in the elementary principles of Christ. But the thing is, is they were always trying to match the law up with these principles, and so the writer in this whole first part is discussing with them the superiority of Jesus Christ over all these things that they've been into. And so now he wants to move on. He's like, let's go on. Stop going back to those basic principles of, of Jesus Christ because you guys know this is the way it is. Stop trying to blend everything in there. And unfortunately, what we'll do is we'll do the exact same thing is we'll try to mix in different principles in there with those basic principles with Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how, that, how is that done? Well, it's some of the things that we ended up deciding that, you know, so I can gain favor are these different prayers that I lift up to God and say, hey, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. You know, and, it, it, and it's like this whole, if I work this good for you, I know you're going to gain favor on me and you'll probably answer this prayer request. And it's some of these little things that we'll find even ourselves end up doing and making these, try to make these deals with God. Like, hey, let, you know, how can we do this? You know, is it, is it 60-40 or, or what's going to end up here with us? And just the different things that we'll try to blend in with him and even doing in our works. And like we, we talked about um, even uh, setting ourselves up to, to be that person that's, that's there in between us and, and God. As far as we're completely eliminating Christ and what we're trying to do is put ourselves in there so that we can complete that work. And it's something that I know that, you, how would I say, it's not something that we see it happening in our lives. It's something that we'll come across when we're challenged on it, and we'll see exactly that. I'm trying to figure it out. Sorry, guys, my stomach is killing me. <laughs> um, I'll just move back onto my notes. We'll just do that. So, verse six, one. Therefore, leaving the discussion, therefore the elementary pr- uh, principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. And the words that he's using here in that leaving the discussion of the elementary process, let us go on to perfection, right? It's something that needs to be movement that's in, in there, right? Like stop doing what's going on and let's move on. Let's, let's, let's grow. Isn't that what growth looks like? And so I have it underlined there. It says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of the repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And verse 2, it says, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on the hands of the resurrection of the dead, and the internal judgment. And some of those things, what it's talking about, is going back into what are those elementary principles. These are great things, and these are things that need to be done as a new believer, right? I mean, these are things that when you come to Christ, it shows in the scriptures that, of course, baptism happens, right? At least when you have that knowledge of what needs to happen there and, and what baptism is about rather than it's about salvation, it's about proclaiming what's already taken place inside of your life. 
and the different ones where it says, and again, the foundation, or sorry, and the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so just encouraging guys, move on from the, those, those different things that they've been entangled in, and they were trying to make fit with the old system. And that's not what he was wanting to end up happening. That's not how God designed it. Now, verses 4 through 8. These are some very hard scripture verses to go over. This is some of the hardest stuff, I think, in the scriptures to explain here because so many people will take these verses out of context and they'll use it to try to support that you better hold on to your salvation because you're going to lose it if you're not careful. And so with these scriptures here, I want to try to be very careful. I mean, it's something that I went over and over, and there's so many opinions out there, tons of opinions about these scriptures. The things that I've been taught through it and, and what I feel makes more sense in, in the context and everything, we'll go through that, and, and you guys can decide, I mean, as you go through these verses, but let's go ahead and read them, verses 4 through 8. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. But the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars that is rejected and near to, the beginning of, near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. So can you give me some water, please? So that whole, of course, that one part in there where it says that if they, in verse 6, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, I mean, that's one of those ones that people are like, there it is. They messed up. They're not going to be able to repent again. So what is it talking about in these scriptures? One of the things to jump right into the context, I think that verse 9 is a very important one. Because verse 9 is what concludes after he just talked about that stuff. And he uses a word in there that I think will help explain what they were talking about. So he says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that, are, that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. And what will happen is this manner is what basically people are saying is that the writer of this is talking about a... a, a, a what is the word? I just lost it hypothetical way of looking at, at what the Christian life would be if they were to walk away from the Lord and what that would be. So what they're saying is that the writer is setting up a kind of a, a, a little, you know, this is hypothetical. This isn't reality. This is what it would be. And that's why when he brings in that we speak in this manner or some Bible say in this way. And that's one way to look at it. Now, some of the words in there are important to understand as far as how they are in the Hebrew and so in verse 6, that word crucify and then the word put, when it says, and put him in open shame, those are both, uh, words are both present participles, which means is basically that they're an action that's continuing. And so you put an ing on the end of it. And so another way they would read is that um, uh, rather than since crucify themselves against the Son of God and put him in open shame, it would read more while they're crucifying again for themselves the Son of God uh, and while they're putting him to open shame. Okay? And so with the Hebrew in there and how the, how the structure is, is, it's talking about while they're doing that, during that time, while they're doing that, how can they be restored again to repentance? 
That's another theory on how that's looked at in that verse. And then one of the other ones that I've seen is that in, uh, with a hypothetical, when it says, so the, the writer is saying that in the hypothetical situation is if a Christian were to fall away, uh, the point would be that it's impossible to renew them salvation. And because Jesus died for once for sins, as it talks about in Hebrews 9, 20, uh, 9 verse 28, uh, Christ would be have, have to be uh, sacrificed over and over again. And the point being the hypothetical reasoning behind it is sometimes what they would do in the scriptures is they would make such a ridiculous statement so that they could show that the end of it was false, that there's no way that they could go that way. And so what they believe in and how it's been explained in these scriptures is that it's talking about as if the Christian, you know, were in that and they kept having to have Christ crucified for them. You know, it kept having to be a process that would have to keep happening, that every single day or every time there was a sin, Jesus Christ again would have to suffer for the sin. And so what it was, this is the, the technical word for it in Latin, it was the reasoning, this type of reasoning is called reductio ad absurdum. And what it is is that a premise is disproved by showing that a logical leads to absurdity. And so that's when they're going through that. So if you read it again, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of this age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the and then it goes on and gives an example. So what it's actually saying and what they believe that it's saying is that it's giving such an intense uh, an example or, or taking this logic and then it's showing that there's absurdity in it. That there's no way that you could have a person that's accepted in Jesus Christ, that he's living for them, and then to have them fall away and completely be you know, without repentance again. And then that would mean that God, would, Jesus Christ would have to die again. And so there'd be this process. And so I think this scripture, and when you take it in that context, you can look at it, and it's such a great explanation for when they do the, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, it just slipped my mind, within Catholicism, when they're doing the, the, the communion, what is it called? Huh? Yeah, the Eucharist. And so what has, happens is that they believe that every time that actually becomes the, the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And so this is the sacrifice that's taking place every single Mass, or every time they do this. But that would say that Christ has to be sacrificed, or the sacrifice needs to be produced every single time. And we know with Hebrews uh, 9, what was it, 23 or 28, verse 28, it talks about Jesus Christ only being the sacrifice once and for all. It was that one time. So that's that one. I hope you guys understood on the hypothetical. Now here's the second view. And then what it, the second view is, is that who's being spoken to here is non-Christians. Okay. What it says with the non-Christians is that it's speaking of them, and it's, it's basically it's talking about that it's a person that's convinced of the basic truths of the gospel, but they've never put their, their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. So they believe those things, but they're not completely committed to it. And I think that kid is a great example that I was able to share Christ with, because he believed God, he believed in Jesus, and he believed you know, that that's probably the best religion out of all of them, but there's absolutely no faith in saving grace there. Uh, they're intellectual, persuaded by it, but spiritually uncommitted. And here's an example. It's found in Matthew 13, 20 through 22. And you guys don't have to go there, but it's the, it's the parable of the sower. And we get to see that in those at least the two different soils, uh, the stony ground and then also the thorns, is that both of those accepted the gospel, didn't they? And they actually started producing a stem or, or some kind of a, 
uh, uh, life that looked like that it was there because of them receiving that word. But like the stony ground, there wasn't any root in it. And so, of course, it was crispified. You know, there was no place to draw that source of water out of it. But we get to see that there was actually this, you know, taking in that word and, and accepting it and a little bit of growth that came out of it, but there was, you know, in, in the end, there wasn't anything that came of it. And then the other one being among the thorns, growing up and then being choked out by the cares of the world. And so you get to see those two examples there of, of what it looks like for a person that, yeah, they were taking hold on this, but spiritually they hadn't taken that step into the faith of, of Jesus Christ and believing on him as their savior. Also in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and that's that part of scripture that talks about, uh, Lord, Lord, you know, the people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And what is it going to tell them? Uh, yep. Didn't know you. But look what it's saying. When you put that in the context of this scripture, it says that they, um, uh, verse 4, it says, for the impossible, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, and, and tasted the good word of God and the powers of this age to come if they fall away. And so what it's just showing there, and what the, this other viewpoint is, is that saying that this is the unbeliever that's coming in there, but not completely adhering to it. Now, it gets difficult for me, of course, in verse 6, because it says that if, for if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. For me, that one doesn't really make sense, especially with that verse in there. But it's so difficult to go through, and I'll let you guys just work through that scripture and really get to figure out what it's getting into and when, where it's going with it. For me, I think the hypothetical reasoning is, a, is more on what they were trying to stun the person and showing that you can't keep going back and crucifying them. Like, this is ridiculous to say that that's even happening. And if you guys look at it in the context of who it's being spoken to, to the Hebrews, think about how was their process with sacrifice, right? They do something wrong, they would need to go make a peace offering or a sin offering. They do something wrong, they need to go do it again and again and again. And so there's these continuous sacrifices that were continuing needing to be made. And so I think the writer is just making the point here, that's not how Jesus works, okay? He was done. That's it. It's ridiculous to think that you could go back and be, again, going to repentance. That's just not the way it works. So both ideas, preaching that once saved, always saved. It's not taken away from that. And it's, it's sad that some people will use a scripture and say, oh, here's the proof here that you can lose your salvation. My argument, one of the basic arguments I would go against that is that if you can do evil works to lose your salvation, that in turn would have to say that you did good works to gain your salvation, right? Because you got to have one without the, you can't have one without the other. All right, if you guys are really confused, let's move on then. <laughs> Verse 9 through 12, just to conclude. It says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, through, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your, forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And just going back to that verse 9, but beloved, we're confident in the better things concerning you. We know it's going to be better for you. I love the positive here. You know, it's not like, are you guys going to mess up again? He's like, no, we're confident this is going to be better concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. 
verse 10, this is such a helpful verse, especially for you guys that are working in ministry here in this church or outside of this church. Hold on to this verse. I guarantee this verse will come back. It is such a great verse to help you out in those times where you feel like you're unrecognized. You're not, you know, people aren't thankful for the work you're doing. This verse right here, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's not going to forget it. God will see it. Honestly, I think that's a lot more important than a person seeing it. Of course, right? There's a big, big difference there. Also in Isaiah 49, if you guys are taking notes, Isaiah 49.4 is another verse that basically says the same thing. Um, about God not forgetting about what your work you're doing among the saints. It's another great encouragement. So you guys that are in ministry, be encouraged through that scripture and, and hold on to that one. Remember that scripture as you go through those different times where the enemy comes up and says you're worthless. I mean, everything you're doing is in vain. You know, I think that's even what this says over here in Isaiah. I think it does use the word vain, Isaiah 49. Just check it out since we haven't turned any pages. 49.4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. That great focus that we need to have as we're in ministry. Now, in verses 11 and 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Two of those words there, be diligent, show some the same diligence, and not be sluggish or slothful. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie Zootopia, right? There's one part in that movie that is so painful to watch. And it's when they go in the DMV and they, they meet up with uh, Flash, right? Flash, Flash, 100-yard dash. And this guy, I mean, that part of the movie, you're just waiting for the sloth to just talk about, uh, it is miserable, because it is so slow in how they deal with, you know, going through a joke and everything, and I won't do it, but if you guys want to watch that, sloths are funny, and it actually uses the word slothful, like as it's sluggish, it's slow, it's it's it's... It's not doing what you're supposed to end up doing. There's one time the sloth was actually crossing the road. Okay, You would think these things are dangerous because they're claws. I don't know. They're probably as long as my fingers. And they just have them. But it's all going across this road. And this guy reaches down and grabs it on its back to get it out of the road. And as he reaches down, grabs it. As he's carrying it over there, the sloth is like this, reaching back and twisting. And he sets it down on the ground, and it's still twisting. And the guy's like walking away, and it's all... <laughs> You're like, are you serious? Like, God, what were you doing when you designed this thing? <laughs> I mean, they're so slow. It takes them every month. They have to come out of a tree to go go do their business in the dirt. Every month. Like, yeah, pretty bad. Anyways, <laughs> being slothful. He's not one that, you know, don't become sluggish. And it goes right back to what he's talking about in the dual hearing and making sure that we're exercising the... We're doing those things, we're being diligent, and not only that, but to look at those examples of those people that are doing that. And that's what it says there. They imitate those through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now, back up in, in uh, what it talks about in, in verse 9, and, and I want to get these lists out here. 
But just to encourage you guys in some of the things that we end up getting in that salvation where it says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So what things can we look at and be encouraged in that are accompanying salvation? There is a list by livinggrace.com of 100 things. I'm not going to read them all, okay? I'll spare you. But here's some of the things, just so you guys can be encouraged, the things that come along with salvation is fellowship with God's Son, access to the Father in Christ, access with confidence, access to the grace, righteousness, abounding uh, in hope, God working in us, the continual intercession of Jesus, the intercession of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of walking in the light, forgiveness when sin is confessed. Uh, Christ is uh, in us, the hope of glory. Uh, the spirit of adoption. It's a great list because it has a scripture that goes along with each single, everything that comes along with salvation. And so the writer here just explaining and talking about this better way, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. So here's a hundred of them. You know, that's quite a bit. When you're feeling down or whatever, go and check out this list. See all the things that accompany your salvation. I guarantee it'll bring joy in your life. And then that last little bit to close in verse 12 that you not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so what are some of those promises? Some of those promises that we have is we get to have comfort, we get to have peace, we get to have joy, we get to have eternal love, power and love in a sound mind, necessities of life, we get to have uh, all these good, uh, it just says all good things, which is from Matthew seven eleven. Um, wisdom, knowledge, freedom, freedom from condemnation, justice, assurance, guidance, love of God, mercy, uh, immortality of body, honor, riches, no more tears, rest from hard labor, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, all things new, eternal healing, no more curse, a right to the tree of life, a visible God. I mean, that's just some of the things on this list. And so it's exciting to see. And when you guys get to see an awesome person in Jesus, you know what their focus is on. Their focus on those promises. So if you guys found any, find yourselves in those, those areas where you're just down or you feel like, Lord, I'm not growing anymore. Imitate those. And you see those people that are growing. Imitate them. See what they're doing. Even go talk with them. See what, what promises and the faith and the patience that they're putting into to inherit those promises. And it's so neat because every one of those things has been given to us. It's not a special thing that only goes to one or the other person. It's something that you just take by faith. And I like what it says there. It's faith through faith and patience, right? There's many times that we're like, hey, I've I deserved this now. I've graduated, and so I need it now. And, but it's by patience that we take on those things. So I hope this encouraged and not confused you guys really bad. But, and uh, yeah, let's go ahead and close. Lord, we just thank you for your scripture. Um, we thank you for the encouragement that you bring to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be sluggish. Lord, that we would take very serious this walk that we have with you. Um, Lord, that we would know that the time is short. Uh, you know, with all the different world uh, activities that are happening, the different world powers that are moving around. And, um, you know, it can bring fear because we immediately think, well, what's going to happen with our, our stability that we have here in America? And, uh, Lord, I ask that you would just... Maybe even rock our boat, Lord, so that we can get our eyes focused back on you, just like what you did to the disciples all the time. Uh, just, you know, making them aware that they have to depend on you, and that's what we want to be like, Lord. And so, just as we depend on you, that we fall into those promises you've given us, that we get to have joy because of all those things that accompany salvation, Lord. And it, it, 
it makes us just want to run alongside you. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for teaching us through it. I thank you for this book of Hebrews, Lord. And I just pray they continue to encourage us and that we'd be able to go teach others about what we learned from your word. And I just pray for these guys during the week that you keep them safe, Lord, and um, that they would have opportunities to share your gospel and to, and to uh, bring, bring people hope, to bring exciting, exciting news about you, Lord. And so we just love you and pray this in your name. Amen.